Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Cariad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. You should celebrate yourself every day. But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, Griefsters. I hope you're having an okay week wherever you are listening. Uh, thank you so much for your, yeah, just look, thanks for being here. Okay, it's a show about grief and I appreciate that you are willing to download it and listen to it. Because <laughs> not everybody wants to have these conversations. And um, I guess there's a lot of us in the club that do. So yeah, thank you for being here. Um, I do have to mention it every week. I'm sorry, I feel like it's... Um, I'm, I'm not going to apologise for it, okay? I'm just going to tell you. I have a book coming out. It's coming out in January. It's called You Are Not Alone. Because some people don't listen every week. Not like you. You listen every week. You're great. But some people, they're only, you know, downloading a few episodes here and there. So I'm just going to make sure I mention it. Um, it's called You Are Not Alone. It's out in January, published by Bloomsbury Tonic. You can pre-order it now. Um, I'm really proud of it. It's everything I've learned from doing this show for six years. And all the things that come up again and again and again all the life lessons that we picked up from over 200 conversations of talking to people about grief and death and um i think you will find it useful if you're listening to this show so if you would like to pre-order it i'd be very grateful thank you this week i'm talking to the very brilliant stand-up comedian actor isabel farrer uh, isabel is a hilarious person um she took a show up to edinburgh right in the middle of all the pandemic really 2021 called ellipsis which was a kind of comedy sort of one woman show about grief and that's the show I've seen her do ellipses in it I was so moved by it it was such a wonderful brilliant piece of theatre and comedy but also dealing with grief in the way that only a griefster can uh, she took two shows up to Edinburgh this year ellipses and her other stand-up show as well as I said she's an extremely funny brilliant person um now, I'm just going to say before we go into the conversation, this episode is about suicide, just as a trigger warning. So if that's something that you find difficult to listen to, this might be an episode that you want to skip over or just to prepare you that that is what we are talking about today. Isabel came in to talk to me about her cousin, Jen. So, Isabel, who are we remembering today? Uh, my cousin, Jen. Your cousin, Jen. And how long ago did Jen die? It's actually five and a half years to the day. To the day? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, and it's funny, just from watching your amazing show, <laughs> I know that you count quite specifically like yeah. the days and stuff. So yeah, five and a half years to the day. So 
yeah, that's tough, isn't it? Five years. It's you're getting into the the bit where in other people's minds it's quite far away. Yeah. I think I definitely also feel like because of the pandemic as well, mm. it, that sort of marks a bit of a like change where I've yeah, yeah. had to, I think I was wallowing for quite a lot for the three years before. And then I, in like from March, 2020, it was a bit like, wow, like life is, life is changing quite drastically. Yeah. And so it does feel, I feel like it's quite far away now as well. You know, like wow. thinking that she, she didn't live through this. Yeah, I think your first big world event like that yeah. they didn't see like I remember it's a weird thing to say but like so my dad died in 1988 and then I remember like the twin towers happening and being like oh he didn't know yeah that's a massive thing he has no idea happened how how strange that like this sort of universal moment in history and yeah they, have no, they weren't there to experience it and it's yeah it's a weird it's a weird sensation but yeah Definitely, especially yeah. something like a, what we've just been through yeah. to know that yeah they they missed it is it's just weird isn't it and do you mind mind talking about how how she no died? not at all no i think no. it's really important actually mm. um so jen died by suicide at the beginning of 2017 and she she'd attempted suicide before which i think is like i've since looked quite a lot at the stats and things and i think if someone's attempted suicide they Oh, it's something like 65% likely to die by suicide within a year afterwards. Wow. So I now have like a really big thing about like suicide prevention and look at like, well, I mean, not in depth, it's not my job, but mm-hmm. in like what what those precursors are, what the warning signs are and how how society needs to change to help people through. So you said she had tried before, had she... So I know yeah. from your show, so she was basically the same age as you, is that yeah. right? Yeah, we were born, I think, like two and a half or three weeks apart. Wow. So we were super, super close in age. Um, mm. And our mums are only like, something like 16 months apart as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I kind of, I talk about this in the show as well, but like growing up with those like milestones and like GCSEs in the same year. And I think we're also two of 11 cousins, mm. which is quite large for a British family so I just remember being a teenager and like watching other people do like GCSEs A-levels and then going to uni and stuff and then you know us hitting those marks at the same time and um obviously like sort of separates out in your 20s when you go different paths and things and she went a, a little bit off the rails um and I think it's probably also important to say she'd had addiction issues and she had quite like really severe mental health issues as well mm. um so she had paranoid schizophrenia and bipolar disorder and borderline personality disorder so but big, big hitters you know yeah. <laughs> she she was collecting all the, yeah, all yeah, the main yeah. the main cards in the mental health yeah, uh, yeah absolutely yeah. oh god that's really really hard yeah. It's really hard with something like that with um like you said with you know existing mental health conditions and knowing the resources that are currently available for our yeah. poor beleaguered NHS like it's a very tough situation for someone to find themselves in because obviously it's not it's no one's fault that they have those no mental health issues and yet the support they might need in this country at the moment is it's very hard to to navigate and um, I've talked on the show before, like I got therapy through the NHS. I was really lucky, but I was also really privileged and 
like I I knew what I needed to do. Yeah. Like, oh, and I, yeah, there's that. And I didn't take no for an answer for three years. I just kept going, coming back and being like, no, like I've, I've done six sessions of CBT. What next? What yeah. next? And it wasn't until sort of speaking to people afterwards, I was like, oh, yeah, I guess it was quite confident and bullish to just keep going back. Yeah. Because I didn't have severe mental health issues. I just knew I really needed help with this grief. Yeah. And so I was like, I just really need help. Um, but to approach the system with already with me- genuine mental health yeah. issues is yeah is a really tricky really tricky place to navigate I think also the balance of like talking therapies and mm. drug like drugs and all of the things and how you can manage that like with someone who's really really ill I think is really difficult and she like she never had any therapy she refused wow. oh. so it she did have a lot of support and she um, spent some time in prison so she had like also uh, I don't remember what the word is but like a parole officer or something mm. or you know people helping her through who were like also trying to stop her from ending up back in prison so and you know, a big family as well but it, yeah. there's only so far things really can go I think yeah yeah and we've talked about that on the show before in terms of suicide it's like it's a sort of the most clearest way you can realize how actual how individuals we all are yeah. that if somebody wants to do something they can like yeah. however much you love them yeah and are there for and all that you know they could have every resource available to them and you know they can still make that choice that is yeah. what humans can do and it's sort of a really a, a horrible lesson to have sort of thrust upon you like oh people can do what they want to do essentially I think I really struggled because because she'd attempted suicide the year before and I'd spoken Mm. to her when she was in hospital and we'd sort of thought that she might find her way out of the hole she was in um and she'd started uni and things and so she you know quite late she was 30 and um I'm so proud of her, I'm just going to say this, she'd gone to uni having not got A-levels and so she'd gone back to college at like 27 or something and she was going to convert her like foundation degree into a BA or BSc in aerospace engineering. Wow. I I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But I just remember being like, fuck, she's going to be an aer... Like, I'm a clown. She's she's really turning her life around and I was so so we all were like just so proud of her and uh she got through a term of uni and I think it that probably just contributed to a huge sense of isolation for her I think she found uni really overwhelming um Mm. so yeah I think that's partly when she died I felt this quite big like oh I I didn't see the I'd seen warning signs before I didn't see those like I wasn't Mm. there enough for her like and I think also, and I've spoken about this with a few people, but I I remember realising how ill she was in about, I think, 2012 or 13. And she'd gone into, like, this massive spiral. And I just... She'd been at my parents' house, and I'd walked with her to the station. Because my mum had been like, don't let her out of your sight until you sh- yeah. we know that she's being picked up by someone at the other end. So I'd just gone on this really long walk around a park so I don't think she noticed but I'd like double backed on us and like all this stuff and she um just as she left her friend had called her and she was going to meet her friend and just as she left she like turned around to me and she like pulled me in and hugged me so hard and she used to she lifted weights and she was really strong so she like pulled me in so hard and she was like 
Izzy, my head's so fucked up and I just don't know what to do about it. And that the feeling of like not being able to do anything about that and knowing that there's something happening that I can't fathom in that person's yeah. head. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that there's, there will never be a point when I'm not going to have to go, mm, I have to deal with that. Like, if she's, yeah. even when we're 50 or 60 and, you know, my parents aren't around or, like, you know, she's got siblings as well, but mm. that I knew that I'd be part of that core. And um, I just remember thinking, like, I'm this, this person is partly my responsibility now, forever. And so I think working through that in therapy, I remember thinking like that responsibility or the sense of responsibility that I felt afterwards really stems back to like that point when I was like, right, well, take it. That's it. She's your family. You don't, you Mm. can't absolve yourself of that responsibility at any point. Like there'll be points when you can go like, actually, I can't pick this up right now, but let me see into like, how can can I help? But um, yeah, so I, I think I can really really trace that back and I think also when it's like a sibling or someone who's like your age and I I did feel that like parallelness about why why did she end up with that and I didn't yeah like how at what point did things split or you know like I, I have anxiety and I have like quite low mood sometimes but I don't you know I've never been suicidal and um mm. I think the unfairness really hit me. Yeah, it's hard when you've... It's such a comparison, isn't it? Like, yeah. I imagine you spent your childhood slightly being compared because you can't yeah. help when there's cousins close together and it's like, oh, wow, oh, they're this oh, tall. Yeah, yeah, oh, definitely. they like this. Do they like that as well? Oh, because it's just what families do. And, yeah, like, I imagine as kids, it was just, you know, normal comparison. And then, like you said, when's the point where it's like, oh, this person is not yeah. well. Like, this person is very different. This person isn't living the same reality that we're all living yeah and that's really I think it's quite it's quite a hard I can imagine it's quite a hard shift when that person has been in your in your like yeah your Venn diagram for want of a better word like she's been in your circle like yeah Yeah. we're the same we're this age we like watching this and we like eating this and and they're like whoa hang on now she's like separating it it's hard it must be very hard and very painful to have the before and after I suppose yeah and I think also, because we sort of became, kind of didn't see her that much, kind of probably between the age of about 17 and 22 or 23. And then she was, she came clean. So she, um, so she stopped taking drugs and stopped drinking and started doing like a chef course. And then she was sort of exploring. It was like quite an amazing thing watching someone in their 20s, like looking at like all the options of like what life held. Mm. Um, and so I think that, and she was always felt quite wide eyed, like, because she lived in like a village in Somerset and so she'd come up to London and be like oh my god this is amazing like oh so we'd go she'd be like can we go and watch a musical because she went to a musical for the first time or something at like 24 oh, um and um she was obsessed with Queen and so we'd gone to watch <laughs> We Will Rock You and she, actual full-on like tears at the end when this hologram <laughs> of Freddie Mercury came up and she'd be like oh my god Freddie <laughs> and so it was such a joy to be around her in her 20s like she just was 
there was just so much that she was kind of learning about the world and like and seeing and she'd started running marathon or like half marathons and like lifting weights and things and then discovering like what she wanted to do with her life and so watching all of that was a, an incredible journey and so it, it felt when she died obviously there was that lack of that potential stopped and I mm. I was sort of so devastated that there was so far she could have gone and it it didn't quite she didn't make it so hard isn't it it's so and like we've you know when talking about suicide before it's it's just like that added layer I think on yeah. top of the grief but it's like like someone's sprinkling more pain onto grief which is already a fucking nightmare yeah <laughs> um because when someone dies young you know we all feel that pain oh they ha- they could have done this and yeah. oh it's so sad it's so sad like or you know they got cancer and they just died like but when with suicide it's that that aching like you said of just like but they are oh, like you I feel like you want to reach into their brain yeah. and be like no no you're not like you're not allowed to do that that's not right that's yeah. not what you're meant to do but it like we've said before it's there's you can't stop people from no. making the choices they make, but that's a really hard thing to to weigh with the grief as well. Yeah. I th- and we've said that before on the show that it's yeah, it's grief plus. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's it's not Olympics. You know? No, but it's not a competition. <laughs> it's not a competition, and there is no hierarchy. <laughs> I just mean that it's like there's something. El- it's like it's not better or worse. It's just extra is what I mean like there's just something that like people just grieving have all this shit to deal with and then like with suicide there's just like another box yeah it's like oh oh you thought you got oh you've got actually you have to take that as well sorry Mm. like and you can't leave it here I think also like I because also when you tell people that your cousins died people are like oh my god was she ill and they're anticipating cancer and you're like well yeah <laughs> and I can feel myself being like, oh god, I'm gonna have to explain it. But as soon, yeah. if you said cancer, they'd be like, oh, what kind of? Oh, my my uncle had bowel cancer, yeah, and, like, yeah. and you'd be like, okay, fine, sure. But if you say she died by suicide, or she killed, I mean, she, I don't mind saying she killed herself. People find that quite like violent. Yeah. But, um, if you say she died by suicide, there's just this like, oof, I can yeah. I can feel it. Like people are so stunned and they don't know what to say. And then you're like, oh, now I've got to manage your feelings about it. And I, mm. I, I just, a lot of the time I don't want to. Like, I don't want to watch someone's face, like, rearrange. And it, like, I just prefer you to go, oh, my God, that's really tough. I don't know what to say. Yeah. You know? And I was talking, I can't remember, was another guest, and we were saying that that feeling of watching someone's face <laughs> is, is so awful. But actually, I was thinking about it, and I, my theory is when you're living with your own pain it's like you, you don't really look at it it's just there yeah but what you're seeing is somebody reflecting back at you how painful your life is and that's oh, what God. makes you feel sick <laughs> because you know what I mean because you go oh they're reacting like like that's agony yeah. but that's my life that's my day to day yeah I don't oh um oh and it's that it's sort of it's sort they sort of because they're just giving you one moment, do you know what I mean? Like your your life isn't agony every single second of the day. It's just yeah. like they they give you that that reaction, and I think that's why as grievers we find it really irritating. She's like, yeah, I know. Don't yeah, show I know me. it's shit. Like, <laughs> yeah, put that rearrange your face yeah. into like you said. Oh gosh, that's very hard. Yeah. Um, and I do think suicide. You know, we've come so far in talking about death. There's still a long way to go, but suicide still 
just people yeah. just absolutely freak out they just don't know what to yeah. say which i you know i understand we're not practicing it we don't talk about it at school there's not enough to you know there's lots of, oh mental health mental health mental health but no one's like hey so some people will take their own lives yeah. how would we talk to someone who had experienced the loss of, like nobody's having those conversations no and so i think people just absolutely freak out like they just they just don't they don't know I what think to there's, say. I mean, there's still such shame like such shame around it that like mm. it's almost seen as a weakness yeah yeah and i think because we don't talk about like if there's still like euphemisms around it and like mm. i think took their life i always find a bit like did you take it <laughs> yeah that's true it's a bit like um lost isn't it when you're like yeah oh, I, lo- I lost my dad i didn't i mean it's not yeah. it's not keys like i didn't <laughs> lose him but yeah i've never thought about that before took their own life is like well where did they take it yeah where did they take it to to the place where it wasn't there yeah like, <laughs> yeah you're right it's a weird it's still a euphemism isn't it yeah still and i think also the fact that people don't realize that it's committed suicide still implies that it's a crime i, mean, I think you've spoken yeah. about this before but it still implies that it's a crime and it's not and it's I, people get so funny about me saying killed herself and they're like oh god it just just jars a little mm. bit I'm like she did sorry <laughs> like. yeah yeah I mean she did and and actually like the more we are honest about this situation perhaps it's easier to understand your pain yeah. and her pain because we're minimizing it aren't we oh it took she took her life like yeah. it went to, she went to Sainsbury's like it, it doesn't sound real whereas even you saying she killed herself it's like that's what she did that's why yeah. i'm in so much pain because yeah. this person i loved ki- killed themselves like that is really painful yeah. and again i think that's what people are running away from of like ah, that sounds awful and you're like it it was yeah <laughs> like, it is um but we step we sidestep it so much and i you know i said this before on the show but it, it wasn't until i started this podcast that i even i even realized that because my whole life had been spent going Oh, my dad died when I was 15. Oh, God, that was so young. Yes, mm. it, yes, it was young. What did he die of? Cancer. Oh, God. And I had never envisioned the conversation of, you know, what you're talking yeah. about being like, what? <laughs> oh, I didn't, I, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah. <laughs> I signed oh, up to give really, you. Yeah. Oh, gosh, how sad. Cancer took him so young. It's so I, sad. Like, particularly you know. at the moment, I think, now that I've written a show about it, and I think yeah. because it, it's when it got reviewed last year it suddenly became a little bit easier and not like oh it's buzzed on this really weird like thing where she's like living in her grief like years and years hey um, welcome to the club <laughs> <laughs> I don't see nothing wrong with that then. no <laughs> but like honestly meeting new people and they're like oh what do you do oh that's fantastic like have I seen anything and I'm like no but my show was on at Edinburgh last year and it, it, it did quite well and they're like oh is it a comedy show and I'm like well well <laughs> kind of <laughs> little bit it was on a date with this guy last year and he was like oh what's it about and I was like grief and he was like Greece as in (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just all about Greece and the holiday I went on it's hilarious (laughs) my 50 favorite kinds of oil (laughs) oh my god I mean I still get that like so you know, often I meet people who have no, like, obviously, I'm not, I'm not famous, and they'll have no idea. Of you are in my oh, world. Oh, thanks, Isabel. Thank you. I'll take it. Um, but you know, like, they don't. It's people who, no, who don't watch any form of comedy at all. Like, yeah. it's like if, even if you said like, oh, QI, they're like, oh, I've heard of that. Like, like, okay. <laughs> they just, they don't like laughing. That's what I feel. Like, they're not into it. 
which is fine it's not for everyone and like i'll so i'll just say oh i i you know i it, what do you mainly do oh, i do a podcast all oh, right what's it about it's always taxi drivers as well i'm like grief it's about grief and death and you could just see they're like uh? <laughs> what why and again it's such a test isn't it because sometimes yeah. people like you said in your brilliant brilliant show sometimes people are like oh my god this just happened to me wow somebody wants to talk about like the relief you see their shoulders yeah. drop and they're like oh actually i just lost so and so and gosh i'd love to see that or they're like all right <laughs> and they're just like absolutely right this guy in glasgow who's just like have you after i said grief and death he went have you um do you read true crime? And I was like, not really. And he was like, let me tell I love true crime. And he just went on for 20 minutes about his favourite true crime and the authors he'd met. And, and I was like, wow, he panicked so badly. That's all he could think of was like, oh, that's death as well. Like, it's like fiction, but or non-fiction, obviously. But that was his like, oh, I know about grief and death because I've read true crime. <laughs> I was like, wow. And I, obviously I'm like, of course I haven't read true crime. I do a podcast about grief and death. I don't need to read these horrific stories. Um, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird place to put yourself to yeah. go. I'm someone who's actually going to really, really talk about this. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Adloyd. Let's talk about the show. Yeah. It's brilliant. I have only seen it on um, an online recording, but it 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 was yeah. Thank I you. obviously we've been talking about the show. We had messaged each other, so I kind of <laughs> I knew what it was about. But um, I was like, oh wow, like she's you because you have done that thing using comedy whilst talking about something very very serious yeah. and making it like palatable for the audience. And um, so you took that to Edinburgh last year. Yeah. But what you said in the show, so that it's interesting, you started writing it in 2018. Yeah. So that was just a year after she died. It was 18 months. 18 months, right. Um, I remember, so it, just before she died, I'd kind of been in this really funny place where I'd, I was an actor and I'd just started doing comedy and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do something else. I need to like just switch things up because it wasn't really working. And it was the year that, Chewing Gum and Fleabag come out and I was like oh, oh right. I just have to write a show there's yeah, no yeah, yeah. I was like there's no way around it you just have to write your own show <laughs> otherwise yeah. like you're not going anywhere yeah and in a weird turn of events I'd left I was in a co-op agency which is where you have to work one day a week and I was like no that day is coming back to me and I need that day to write and my final day in my agency was the day after she died and I was like when I left, I was like, right, I'm, in two months, I'm going to have a new agent and I'm going to be doing all of this stuff and I'm going to mm. write a new short film. And so she died and I had just been like, I just didn't give a fuck. I didn't care about like writing. I carried on trying to like write to casting directors and be like, hi, I'd love mm. to come and audition for this, blah, blah. And, and I, I, I really would turn up to auditions being like, what, you want what from me? Yeah. And I kind of, I just left everything for a bit and I didn't really didn't push trying to get a new agent. I kind of, I did some comedy. I sort of pushed it again from October, but I really didn't, wasn't able to focus on anything. And then I think in, on the anniversary, I remember being like, oh, okay, you've got to, you've got to pick yourself up a bit more. Mm. And I started doing comedy a bit more. And then in, I think June or July, and I found the WhatsApp messages where I sent 
to like a, a group with two other actors that I know for, I've known for like years from doing a show with them and I said guys I think I'm going to write a show where it's me on stage but there's like living a difficult time but like also with like voiceover of like conversations with my therapist or um reading the notes that I wrote so I I would write myself these notes on my phone about her death Mm. in the year after she died like and it was generally on the anniversary or on like the the 12th of each month Mm. and so I was like maybe I'll record those and like put them in but you're never quite sure what's happened and like make it sort of verbatim but also like really abstract and I was envisioning this like really like weird comedy hybrid like groundbreaking piece of art um it's now just a very classic one woman show (laughs) um and so I started and all the easier to watch for it I would say (laughs) as as amazing as that sounds we all sat through that one woman show and gone oh god what's happening yeah (laughs) so yeah I I thoroughly enjoyed your traditional take thank you phew yeah yeah um and then, so I started writing it mid-2018. Oh, I wrote, that's when I started planning it. And I think I wrote 20 minutes in September or October 2018. And then I had the first full draft out in December 2018. Wow. And then I sort of tried to rework it a little bit. So I was like, right, well, if I show this, I basically switch between being on a mic and off a mic all the way through. So you know clearly when I'm doing stand-up and when I'm not. So I did that from first draft one and then I was like oh maybe I'll try and wrench this into because I know where the laughs are maybe I can wrench it into like a stand-up show and so mm. you don't know so anyone's died or what's going on until like act four or whatever you think of a four-act structure and then I tried to do stand-up about it and I was like oh god no like absolutely not this is yeah it's awful and I think it's also worth noting that in the first work in progress I did I changed the name so I was like I called myself Roz and was like oh my name's Roz and I but so much of it is me and I was like well then I have artistic license to change any details if I want to yeah but then I was like you know what this is me it's my voice Mm. it's my life it's my cousin like no it's and it meant that I felt quite a bit funny about authorship and about genre Mm. this is a very hack conversation but because I wasn't sure then like I was like is it comedy is it theatre is it what is it and what am I trying to do with this and then I just had to kind of remove those questions and be like write it make it it's a piece of theatre it's a show and then if people don't like it because of what it is or what it isn't then as long as I do yeah (laughs) I think it's storytelling is it and actually you know when you talk about chewing gum and flea bag and all of these shows which you know, I, I love and I love this movement of shows that aren't like set up punchline set up punchline yeah. with characters that do things that you don't believe in because it'd be funny if they went to the toilet and the lid fell off and then the builder <laughs> came round and like all that kind of 90s sitcom that we grew up with of yeah. like imagine if that happened um and now we're into this really truthful authentic voice which i know some people find like where where are the bloody jokes and you're like yeah but i do love hearing people's stories like that's what i i think a lot of what we the movement before and like why fleabag was so successful like was this lack of story it was just all about situation and characters and wouldn't it be funny if you know three priests lived on their own and this happened whereas now it's like 
wouldn't it be heartbreaking and funny and true if this person stood up and said, hey, this happened to me? And and it, it this is a very in-depth comedian conversation, but um, <laughs> I think it annoys some people because you kind of have to have a story. And yeah. there is that joke of the dead, ja- dead dad show in Edinburgh, oh, they're just doing their dead dad show. And I, you know, I, I can see both sides, obviously, like, it's annoying of like everybody does stand up about death and that becomes Do you know what's more annoying is when everybody just does stand up <laughs> yeah exactly. i love stand up i love doing yeah. stand up but do you know what if you've got a whole month of just watching people like yeah. wrap their life into neat little punchlines and not a single tear i'm like oh god no yeah and i think especially the time we're living in it's like you need this like yeah your heart has like we live in such tough times you want someone else to be like me too yeah i am also living in tough times and this is how i worked my way through it and grief isn't linear but shows require a linear narrative and something in that is satisfying to watch you piece your way through you know dealing with your grief and dealing with the grief of a suicide and sort of just finding your way through this new situation as an audience, you're like, oh, perhaps we can all find our way yeah. through the situation. Um, how did you find, like, so I did a lot of character comedy where it was like totally hidden. Like the grief was like yeah. buried seven layers deep, which I didn't really realize I was doing. And I did think about you because, you know, like you said, you're using your own name. You're talking, yeah. like, you're saying my cousin killed herself. Like you're, you, it's very on the surface of like the truth is it hard to do that every single day? Like, especially in Edinburgh, were there moments where you're like, because I, I have moments with the podcast, I'm like, why yeah. did I do this to myself? Like, yeah, yeah, were yeah. you in Edinburgh going, why did I do this? Like, I have to say she's dead every single day. Or was that a part of it that you enjoyed? Of Like, I get to say this. Um, I think Edinburgh was oddly easy, mm. easier. And I think it was partly because the show was at 4.15 and so I'd come out and also there yeah. was no bar, like so the restrictions were still like happening yeah, last yeah. summer. And so there was no bar there. I would walk out, I'd take my hair down, put my glasses on, put a mask on, walk out and people would be like, did you, was that just you? And I'm like, oh yeah, thanks. And <laughs> literally be like, I just walk off into the sunset basically. Yeah. Um, I then did it at the Soho for three nights and that was so whirlwind, whirlwind that I just I just really enjoyed it. Mm. And then in February I did it at Pleasance and it was like 7.30 in the evening and it was midwinter and I think because I was getting the bus like home to my, yeah. to, like where I live, it all felt quite day-to-day and mundane and I mm. really struggled in February. Like yeah. I had a real low that week and I think I also... I was on Woman's Hour that week as well. And if there's anything that's quite public, I get quite a lot of suicide trauma into my DMs. Yes. And it's like, I can deal with lots of things, but um, I've had to mute the word hanged in my Mm. Instagram inbox. Because people just, and I can completely understand why they do it. Like, it's just that we're so silenced about grief and so silenced about suicide that people are like, oh my God, she seems... Like she's got her shit together and I'm just gonna tell her so because I just need mm. to let it out. But my poor like my poor little heart, like sometimes mm. I think that I'm fine doing it and because I've scripted it and I know I also know when I can almost oh god, I feel very bad saying this, but sometimes I can really phone in that show. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. Of course, after that like, many times yeah. doing it, yeah. And that's protection as well. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like Absolutely. this show's a hard show to do. If you like wrenched your heart out every night like you know that is a one woman drama show there's not that you know 
So you do have to like put your barriers up and go like, this is a sad bit. Here we go, strap yeah, in, yeah. first gear, like off we go. So I feel like I had opened myself up quite a lot that week, mm. and then quite a lot of stuff came back to me, and I was yeah. a bit like, whoa, I really need to. And so I ended up like I wouldn't have ever dreamt of doing this normally, but like I I went got one of my best friends to come and watch I comped her in and I was like can you just come and sit with me in the dressing room afterwards like I just mm. I don't want to go into the bar I just want to be able to sit yeah, and like take it. my time one of the other things I've discovered doing it because like I've I've been an actor and just used to being in dressing rooms from like half an hour before the show and then yeah. like if you're coming on and off stage you've always got like people to interact with and when you go and do a show on your own for an hour you turn up, no, no one's telling you what time to turn up before, yeah. which I've had to be my own stage manager and be like, right, be there for the half, Isabel, because you can't yeah. waltz in 10 minutes before. <laughs> and then you go on stage, you don't, you give for an hour. It's not, it's not tiring. It's not physically tiring for me. It's not, but I give for an hour and then I come off stage and there's no one to go, oh, that one, all right. Oh, did you fuck up that bit? Oh, God, yeah, 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 I know. But did you see that person? All of those little things that just human contact-wise yeah. you get from doing a play with another person, I, I get none of that. And so at the end, I really have to be like, right, what do I need right now in this moment? It's really lonely. And it sounds yeah. like a silly thing to say. <laughs> but, like, having done many a one-woman show, like it's so lonely. Yeah. And that's why... I kind of gave it up and that's why I still do ostentatious because I walk off stage and there's five people oh, glorious. going oh, it's glorious. <laughs> five people going oh my god that was so funny did you see that person? oh my god when you said that oh that was good that was hard wasn't it I didn't know why you were going to do that and that feeling of connection yeah like I am addicted to that I am yeah. absolutely addicted to that and like ostentatious improv has been like the constant in my whole performance life mm. whereas the one-man show even when I was just doing like pure comedy it wasn't even you know there was nothing in it that you would have noticed I'd walk off and just like you said that feeling of like oh I, okay Ugh. and I did feel for you because what you're talking about is so personal and I mean I have the same thing it's a, the tension of the world we live in of like you want to be someone that is is talking about it is normalizing it that's yeah. really great but then like you said you're giving that out but you're not in control of what comes back to you which no. you know i i similarly get sometimes really really difficult dms or, or emails that i i yeah. feel so overwhelmed with obviously listeners i love being contacted and i love people saying thank you for the show i want to tell you my story but there's a there's a difference between yeah I know what you're describing, somebody who hasn't spoken about it and 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 gives you like the full yeah. graphic detail of, of what happened to them. And often you're like, oh, this needed a therapist or a doctor, like this oh, needed yeah, somebody to contain this. I'm a performer, I'm yeah. not that person, but because I'm willing to stand up and share my story, like you said, everyone, and I can imagine with suicide, it, you know, and There's I totally not many people talking well. about it. Like, yeah, I, d I don't yeah. ever want to be like. It, it, no, it's just it's not it's not. Don't do it. It's so annoying. It's like oh, there's there's two truths about this. Like yeah. I'm so glad that I'm able to be this position, but also it's very painful when I have to read these things that I'm just not prepared for in any yeah. sense or shape. I've gone on Instagram to look at my mate's holiday picture, and then I'm like, oh <laughs> my god, like. And it is that's that's what I mean about the tension of social media is yeah. like everything's in the same room, like yeah. everything is in the room, like and where I feel like I am older than you, but what we grew up with was more like 
you'd ring your friend and she'd tell you or you'd go yeah. around and see her photos and then you might see someone else you'd be like oh this thing happened to me like you you were able to move between spaces yeah and we just we don't have that anymore no not at all and I think also the tension of like at the moment I'm really feeling that like trying to build a following and trying to make sure mm. that like people can come and find my gigs and come and find my shows yeah, and you're like right yeah. so I have to be really present and online all the time and chirpy and then sometimes you're like yeah but also can you not like the backside of that is that I don't yeah. want no no please don't slide into my DM like yeah yeah it's 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 a really tricky like line yeah. to to manage because like yeah same I feel like I don't want people to feel like they can't send me a message and can't say you know this helped me or this was useful it's just there's it, a really fine line isn't it and I can't yeah. like because I get I get quite a lot but I've also just had like some people being like hey I just watched your show and like my yeah. my brother died last year and I, yeah. you articulated like, that's what I've had quite a lot of is people saying like you articulated stuff I've not really been able to which yeah. is always like oh fab I'm really I'm really pleased that it was universal because yeah, yeah. I, what I didn't want to make was a totally selfish show like either yes yeah yeah, um, yeah. so I am pleased that I can articulate it it's just um and I think that's I get that guess there's a, something about like I don't talk about how Jen died and yeah. if people ask me now and they do like and mm. like it's just something you can't well I, I learned am, that for doing this show yeah the etiquette is not too like I I was stupid like so how did it happen and my friend Jen who lost her brother to suicide was oh, like yeah well Carrot. I've known Jen for, Jen for like years and years and she was like you don't ask that and I was like oh I di- did not know yeah and she was like, yeah, that's not, not cool, mate. <laughs> so I went to I think we're just Jen. given so just, much yeah. voyeuristic detail of, like, everything yeah. that happens. And we're so used to that. Like, yeah. just intimate details of absolutely everything that it just, it doesn't occur to you that you shouldn't do it. And but it's weird. I would feel like that with cancer. Like, you know, sometimes people say to me, oh, oh how did you die? And I'll say, oh, pancreatic cancer. And then normally it's like, oh, oh yes, that's quite bad. Or I know someone who had that. But then I've had people go, all oh, right, so where was it? Where did it start? Well, how long do you have treatment for? And I'm like, are you a fucking doctor? Like, why do you need to know? He's dead. Do they have secondaries? No, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And like, I've had someone, and I feel like sometimes it's people trying to play it cool. So like, I'm cool with this. I'm going to ask you loads of stuff. And you're like, good for you. I'm not. Yeah. And I never forget, I spoke to the amazing uh, Puna Bell, who oh, yeah. her husband lost her husband to suicide. Apologies, I'm saying lost. I'm just looking for the right no, words. It's fine. I'm I don't not always getting them right. Um, and she, her episode is really like I found really interesting and moving in terms of talking about suicide. That she was at a breakfast meeting, and somebody asked about her husband, and she had to say, "Oh, he, you know, he actually took his own life." And the woman with that beat was like, "Oh, how did he do it at a breakfast meeting?" And she was like, and she said the people she were, she was with bristled like. Uh, but this other woman was just like, oh, I'm allowed to ask that. And she eloquently and beautifully said, as, as she's so, so yeah. wonderfully expressing herself, said, you know, that's not an appropriate question. I mean, aside from <laughs> what you're putting that person through who's gone yeah. through it, but secondly, does the whole room want to know? Exactly. I think it's, it is like this idea, and I think it almost does come from, like you said, true crime, yeah. voyeur, voyeurism. Like, we're used to being like, oh, how did she get murdered? Like, oh, tell me the deep... Which, I never want details. No. I don't want to know. But um, it's also I think, it's it's really dark. Like mm. if you think that through, like because and I I have me um, I've got a really overactive imagination. And like mm-hmm. if you tell me one detail 
my mind has built every other it's asking me like yeah. what the sound on the floor what do you know all of those it doesn't matter yeah. who it was or what it was or how far away it was like I've had to go through the detail in my head and yeah. so sometimes when someone says something I, I get I got a message about something and I my head had that image yeah. in it for like two days yeah. and it was like oh god please don't do this to me and yeah. I um, I think another thing that's quite interesting is that Jen did use the same methods, method as her friend had like mm. two months before oh. and so there is a thing about copycat like yeah. suicides which I think is another reason why we have to address it a little bit more carefully like yeah. You don't want to talk about the way someone's done it because if some if another person in the room is in any way feeling like oh mm. I'm I'm on the brink, giving them the extra possibility of knowing what or where or how yeah. might just tip them into oh, and I don't want to be morbid about it. No, but you no, don't know too. what the state of people's heads are around mm. you, and I just think. I think of myself now as like cushioning like my knowledge and so I mm. I'm, not that I don't want to seek things out but just go like okay I don't need that darkness because I don't yeah. want to open up a whole new level of darkness into my head at the moment um, and I think like I'm feeling quite robust at the moment but like in February March I after doing the show again I remember just being like right you're in like protectionist mode so like mm. anything that's too difficult not talking about um you have to protect yourself when you are being open and vulnerable and I definitely had that with this show like I remember thinking I was just doing like the second season it was right at the beginning and I was like in a room with someone interviewing them and feeling like all of my grief like suddenly like rising to the surface and being like oh god oh god what have I done like I'm not ready to and it's just about yeah if you are someone who is willing to be open about your grief like how do you manage manage it and I think yeah. you did like ha- it sounds like you were amazingly self-aware to be like I need my friend you're gonna come yeah. this is what I need this is what I'm gonna do and that's all you can do is is manage it and I mean so how do you <laughs> Isabel solve it for us what what do you think what can people do in terms of supporting someone with suicide I know there's no like right or wrong answer but like if you know someone who you know has lost someone to suicide like yeah. is there like what would you have wanted and obviously it's very personal other people would have felt differently There's I think never a, like ju- partly just acknowledging it. I, I can yeah. tell you which friends didn't even like yeah. didn't say a word oh. like genuinely and it, it some people deal with grief in different ways but like I just mm. I do remember being like that person has not even said to me like are you okay or um yeah. I think I remember noticing after a month people dropping off a little bit Mm. Um, and that I hit a really really bad stage at like three or four months and I I had a quite a normal day job at the time as well and I I was signed off sick I had I probably had like quite severe insomnia for I reckon six or seven months I still Mm. don't sleep well like having having been a notoriously good sleeper and like would sleep through absolutely anything I now probably average like five five or six hours a night and I, I wake up once or twice usually which is um a big I think in my 30s I'm like oh god I really could have done with like 
I'm very tired these days. <laughs> really could do with not waking up at 4 a.m. Yeah. and being like, oh, I'm wide awake. Um, but I think just just keeping checking in on people after mm. that first month. Because I think I thought I'd be fine after all, like getting towards being fine. Like the funeral's done, you've bookended it, yeah. like done, bye-bye. Keep a note. The anniversary still knocks me for six. I know you talk about yeah. it a lot on the podcast, but like it knocks me for six. And it's a tough, it's January the 12th and it's four days after my birthday and it's like in the darkest period of the year and it's yeah. like the shit week when you're like, I'm really tired and hungover and I've got no money. Like <laughs> I remember in lockdown three, so just after in January 2021 when we'd just been like yeah. gone back into it, I... Like, awful. yeah, it was and uh, that week, and it was also the week that like Capitol Hill had been invaded by like some oh, fascists. Yeah. It was like it was my it was birthday a really week, bad, bad time, and, like really bad COVID deaths. And I remember like the anniversary came, and I think my flatmate was possibly at her boyfriend's that night. And I mm. think just remember being like on my own in the flat, like I got a takeaway, and I just remember being like, I can't. This is so shit. I can't even acknowledge it. Yeah, I can't, like I can't even. <laughs> yeah, like this is anniversary four, and I like I've lost my career. People are dying everywhere. There's mm. fascism's on the rise, and I can't even leave the house and just go for like two glasses of wine in the local pub. I know that seems so mad, but like I no, just was I like, I just love awful. to be around ten people right now, yeah. and it's like it's illegal and irresponsible of me to do that. So, whereas this year I felt like. God, sorry, I've got a bit tearful. That's all right, it's all right. Um, on the anniversary this year, like, I went for lunch with two friends and then I went and watched two shows in the evening and I was able to just, like, I just remember being, even though it was, like, December, uh, January and it was cold, I was, like, just being out of the house and around mm. people felt, like, almost euphoric yeah. because I was able to, like, really celebrate life even though it was, like, five years after she died and it was, it's still a very strange time um, and it's still a difficult era for us all mm. but I just remember being like oh thank fuck I'm not like yeah <laughs> alone alone yeah and I think that's the thing like I felt that so desperately in the lockdowns because you know I know how isolating grief is and I kept thinking about people fresh grieving yeah and I kept thinking oh god like imagine if you had to do this now like yeah ah. and I know like the first lockdown a lot of people said oh you know it's very peaceful and I actually had time to think about it and I can see, you know, the weather was, was good yeah. and you could, you could go for a walk and stuff. But yeah, that third lockdown, I have a really um, old friend who lives in Mexico, but is, you know, grew up here. And I was trying to describe to her how bad that third, like, because she was like, oh, you know, it's another lockdown. And I was uh. like, you don't understand. This is the bleakest time I've ever experienced. <laughs> and my, like, I feel Victorian levels of bleakness yeah. right now. Like, <laughs> I've never felt like this... You know, it felt, um, you know, it was like Christmas Carol before he, you know, before he re changes. Like, yeah. like, you're just so cold and Bob Cratchit, that's what I felt like. I felt like yeah. Bob Cratchit, like, with one candle just trying to, like, survive in life. <laughs> and to have that plus grief, plus mm. dealing with, like you talk about in the show, all the the guilt and the the other grief excrements of, um, of suicide. Like, yeah, it must have been yeah. so bleak. And just to be able, like you said, that like you did the right thing and not going anywhere but it doesn't mean that's not like hideously painful to try yeah. and deal with an anniversary and a grief when we couldn't see people like yeah like, yeah, yeah it's just it's a lot it's yeah. a lot 
you know, you said your today is five and a half years. Like it's yeah, it, it's just it's just hard. It's just hard. Yeah. Some days are easier, and some days are fine, and some days are not fine. And I think also with the anniversary, and I I couldn't work out why I was so obsessed with it. Like, and mm. I think I remember thinking, if I get to a year, then I'm, but I was like, yeah. but it's arbitrary. It's just it's numbers. I don't. January is a is a human construct. Mm. Like the world's yeah, yeah, been yeah. in existence for years and years before January was a thing. <laughs> but I think there's something about the time of year and like the light in the sky and like what that the memory of those things as well. Mm. Because there is that you know that thing of like low slung sun in January as it's like setting and all of that or like potential that it might snow and like where the temperature sits. And so the, the familiarity of not yeah. the date, but like the season. Yeah. yeah. And um, so I think it's partly that as well, that why we kind of come full circle with dates and things. Mm. Well, there's yeah. that phrase, isn't it, that um, which I've said before, but I love it, that you have to pass through each season without them. Yeah. Which is actually what I think we've translated that as a year. A year makes a difference. Yeah. But actually, I think somewhere primarily, we have to go through each season with them. Yeah. So they didn't see the sun. They didn't see the leaves. Yeah. They didn't see the snow. Like, they're dead. Like, your brain is processing it. And I can really understand January. Yeah, I thought you were saying about January is really beautiful because it is such a specific light and feeling. Yeah. And also quite a big potential, like the year's yeah. beginning. And that must relate so much to what you're saying about Jen of like, she was, you know, in from another angle, she was this bud about to open and all yeah. this stuff was about to happen. And she left us at that point. Yeah. So coming back to that kind of time when you're all wrapped up and you're inside and you're not, you know, you're not exploring the world in, in the same way. Yeah. Must be very evocative. Definitely. Very evocative. And I think, you know, everyone experiences the anniversary so differently and so some people don't even notice it but like whatever works for you like if if monitoring it marking it feeling it yeah noticing the sun if that is important to you that's like your journey with remembering yeah. her and it, all you can do is go well this works for me yeah <laughs> like and 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 someone else in a similar situation who's also lost someone to suicide would be like oh god no i never think of it i never remember it like it's such um you know, your relationship to Jen was completely unique and that's the way you will remember her and yeah. celebrate her and grieve her is completely unique. Isabel, I could, I could talk to you for hours. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for talking to me and remembering Jen. She sounds like, she sounds brilliant. I would love to go and see We Will Rock You with her. I was going to say, I feel like you should, bl- like when you're feeling down, I feel like you should blast Queen Greatest Hits. She's such a like, I don't know if you know the Greatest Hits album. Yeah. It's because <laughs> it's Queen. Me, yeah. It's such a good album. And I feel like if you're feel, having that moment, like just like volume one Queen, just yeah. like blast it as loud as you can. Oddly, like, on the second anniversary, I was away with my day job in Thailand and I was in a bar and I was just laughing with my friend about something. And then Radio Gaga came on. Oh. And um, it, was, it was on the anniversary and I was like, oh, you've just come in to remind me that you're... <laughs> Okay, yeah. Like, and then I had a big cry and I had to go home. But I was like, oh, yeah, like, I know. I'm, 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 I'm not having fun on your anniversary, Jen, right? Like. <laughs> yeah, don't forget. Yeah, I think that's nice to to have something yeah. that you can hold. But yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You can follow Isabel on Twitter at Irresponsible. That's at 
I-R-R-E-S-P-O-N-S-A-B-E-L-L-E. She's on Twitter at Irresponsible and Instagram at Irresponsible. And you can head to her website, isabelfarah.com, one R, uh, for more information on where she's gigging and where you can see her brilliant shows. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was recorded remotely um, in both our a living room in a kitchen, I think. It was edited by Kate Holland. The music was provided by the Glue Ensemble. Artwork by Jade Perkin. And... Is there anything else? No, that's, that's the usual things I have to tell you. And remember, you are not alone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.